Welcome back to the Radio Guy podcast. Good to have you with us. Grab a seat around the radio. Here we go as we continue our trip back into magic history with some great memories of the past 31 years. We're going to get some good ones today. We're going to wander back to year one, and we will visit with uh, what I think really one of the top scorers that's ever played for this team, Pure Scores, and he is Reggie Theus, number 24. Reggie, it's good to, good to talk to you again. I haven't talked to you in a long time. Gosh, it's always great to talk to you guys out there. Um, it was a it was a great time in my life. We had a lot of fun, and um, you know, I actually miss it quite a bit. <laughs> Before we talk about that that first year of Magic history, just for those of us that you know really don't get out a whole lot, Reggie, catch us up on what's going on in your life the last couple of years. Well, I you know I spent uh, the last few years coaching in college. And yep. over Cal State Northridge, uh, tough situation. A um, little better than it, it was a little better now than it was, but uh, it, you know it's, it was time to move on. Um, doing XM Radio, NBA Talk Radio now, and uh, so that's that's been a blast. What a great venue to sort of just just have NBA talk and you know talk about the entire league and all the topics and just anything under the sun when it comes to, uh, it, you know, just talk radio. Also doing some Laker, uh, Laker shows for uh, out here on Spectrum TV. So, and, and still wanting to coach. Um, so we'll see what happens. It's sort of wait your turn. Tell me a little bit about the radio you're doing. It, it sounds like I've caught this show a couple of times. It sounds like you're having a lot of fun with it. Is it fun just because you can do anything really for two, three hours? Well, you know, it's a three hour. Most of the shows are three hours, um, and you know, the thing that's great is it's so topical. You can go from historical facts to today's events, what's hot, what's moving, and then there's trends and uh, the actual games. I miss the analyzing the games. I miss the coaching of the games. So I sort of try to put a little bit of uh, you know my player hat, my coaching hat. Uh, on everything that I that I do, so it's it. I have a wide range of, of abilities to speak on to- different topics. So I'm guessing, Reggie, if you're doing that show and on the air as much as you are, you, you're watching a lot of basketball, a lot of NBA basketball. Oh my God! <laughs> yeah, it's the only way. Well, you know, it's the only way. You can't watch them all. That's just it's impossible. But you you sort of pick out the marquee games or what games are interesting to you. And then, you know, you spend a lot of time reading and you spend a lot of time looking at stats and and just trying to keep up with the conversations. Because when we take callers, the callers may call up and ask about anything, you know, because every caller has their own, you know, they have their own axe to grind. They have their their things that are important to them. And it may not be exactly what you're talking about that day. So uh, it could be just about anything. So you have to be ready to to do whatever comes up, which makes it a lot of fun because there's a lot of spontaneity to the shows. All right, let's talk a little bit about your arrival here at Orlando. You played, what, 13 years in the league. It was, what, year 12, if I remember, that you were chosen in that expansion draft. So you come to Orlando. uh, And and didn't you, at the time, you left a pretty good basketball team, didn't you? Well, yeah, we were were having a lot of fun. Uh, uh, I was in in, uh, Atlanta. We won 55, 56 games. Uh, I think that was a team, really uh, the best team that I ever played on in terms of just talent. Um, and we had a chance to be really good. 
Um, but, you know, organizations, for whatever reasons, they, they do things because they have to and, and, you know, what they think is best for the organization. And uh, so Mike Fratello left me unprotected, and I was chosen second uh, in the draft, I think, behind Sidney Green, which was which is a real downer, actually, trust me, you know, <laughs> when I think about it. You know, if if, if, if my memory serves me correctly, that, that really, you know, you just ruined my day, by the way. <laughs> Tell me this, me Reggie. Was it was it difficult to accept when, when you found the news? I mean, you're going, you're you're at the end of your career, or at least near it, to find out now. Now yeah. I'm going to an expansion team, and I'm basically starting over. Well, you know, it, it was it was tough because I chose to. It, it was interesting because the Sacramento Kings at the time they were we had probably gone as far as we're going to go. They wanted to make some changes. I had value. Um, uh, Katz, uh, who was running the uh, Atlanta Hawks at the time, really liked me as a player. Uh, I don't think I had to, I don't think that I was one of Mike Fratello's favorites at the time, but they uh, they needed my services, and I was trying to get to a winning team because you know we had struggled in in, in Sacramento. So I I opted to say, hey, listen, you know, if if it's a possibility, you know, send me you know, someplace where I have a chance to, you know, to win. And so they sent me to Atlanta and um, we, you know, they got, you know, I forget what they got for me. And um, so I, I wanted to go there. They wanted me there and we won 55 games, but, you know, for whatever reasons, they felt like they needed to go, uh, you know, keep certain guys and let certain guys go to the expansion draft. But, you know, at, 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 it, it's, it's always, it may be a downer on one side, but then, you know, you went to a place where they really wanted you at the same time, because obviously if Orlando picked me second, it was somebody that they really wanted. Um, and, and whether it be a long time or a short time, it was, uh, it was a, it was a great thing for the franchise. Um, and you know, for me, it kept me playing. Uh, it kept me relevant and, uh, it was a lot of fun to be honest with you. I had a blast and it was, a uh, an exciting time to be the, the, you know, to be someplace for the first shot, to be someplace for the inaugural year, um, you know, and all the excitement that went along with that. I got a chance to, to experience that twice because we went from Kansas city to Sacramento and that was the first franchise for Sacramento. And um, so it was a, uh, it was, it was nice to see it happen again. And it's, there's something positive about it because we actually were a pretty good basketball team uh, that year. Yeah, and I remember you, you say you, you're going to a place that you were wanted, and I can remember how excited these fans were here that, you know, had never had a basketball team. This is their first go-around at it, and they find out in the expansion draft they get Reggie Theus, who at the time and really throughout your career, I mean, you were a scorer, a perfect yeah. guy to get to start a team. Yeah, you know, it's funny because, you know, I fall into the category of I can get you instant points, I can get you instant excitement. You know, I'm the second-tier guy. I'm not the guy that's going to win you a championship, but, you know, add me to another couple of guys and and, and you've got a pretty good uh, combination. Um, But I can certainly, uh, you know, get you – get you going in the right direction and, and make it exciting for the, uh, for the fans. That's for sure. Cause we had that, that uh, you know, we had a lot of, we had a lot of excitement and a lot of, a lot of fanfare too. 
Yeah, I, I know you remember this, right? The, the, the game that always stands out in my mind is that first game at the arena. Uh, the Detroit Pistons come in. They just won the championship. And you remember the feeling in the building at the time. It, it was unbelievable for a preseason game, just electric. And it was that way throughout the game. Yeah, you know, and, and, and those the, the fans never stopped. And uh, we had a great group of guys that there were really, you know, everybody were veterans. Everybody had been through some things. Uh, everybody wanted to, uh, you know, play with a chip on their shoulder. So it was it really, it was us against the world. And, um, but things were so new for our fans. Uh, they were so excited. And, and just to have NBA basketball, that it was, it was truly, um, I, the, only, the only way I can just explain it to you that, you know, people say that players don't play for the fans. That's really not true. Because I believe that the Orlando Magic fans pushed us and we played hard. They pushed, you know, we, we pushed each other. They, we gave them all we had and they gave us all they had and it really worked as a family. Yeah, it was a memorable year. A lot of characters, as you know, on that basketball team. What are the or who are the some of the guys that you really remember from the locker room? Maybe not so much playing, but just just being around and in the locker room because there were some uh, interesting guys in that club. Oh yeah, well you know you had Sidney Green, you had you know um, you had Terry Catledge, you know Sam Vincent, you know uh, uh, Jerry Reynolds. Uh, uh, God, there's so many. Scott Skiles. I mean, there was just so many. It was a lot of guys. And, uh, you know, it, it, our locker room was a interesting place because there was a lot of personalities. And when you bring in an expansion team, you bring in veterans from all over, you're really basically putting together a, a, a conglomerate of people. And, and now you got to, now they all got to get along. Now they all got to <laughs> have their own, their own thing. And there was no pecking order or anything like that. So, you know, we were just a bunch of guys who sort of figured it out and uh, learned to play with each other. And we had a great, we had a great coach at the time who, who was really perfect for us and Matty Gukas. You know, the organization, Pat Williams, the organization was, was really about the city of Orlando and, and really building uh, this franchise the right way and, and doing the things that the, the fans really wanted in the city. So it, it was really a great mixture of, of positiveness. Well, you make a great point there because looking back, Matty probably was the perfect guy, but you bring in a first-year coach or, or a newer coach, uh, Matty at least understood he knew you guys. You had a lot of veterans on that team. He'd been around. He, yeah. He'd won a championship. He knew what it was like to play in the NBA and, and kind of knew how to take the entire ordeal, I guess, to say. Well, you know, we always said Coach Gukas was like, you know, you meet the guy in the grocery store. You know, it's the same guy you meet on aisle six. Yeah, hey, man, where, where, where are the soup at? You know, you, you, you know where the soup is? Well, it's over on aisle four. Hey, thanks, buddy. See you later. Uh, you know, that, that, Coach Gukas was like that. He was really just a real regular guy. And, and that sort of helped our, our whole persona in, in being just regular guys who were working hard and who all had a common goal. And, and the thing is, is we legitimately all got along really well. You know, and I, I even remember the day I got traded. I mean, he was, you know, he, he was he was so bummed out, you know, um, because it was, I think it was something the organization felt like they needed to do because they had drafted uh, Anderson and I was still playing really well. And, you know, um, 
you know, it, it, they, they wanted him to be the future of the team, but yet he wasn't going to get any minutes because I was still playing too well. Um, but I thought that that was the biggest mistake they made because at that time, um, if they would have asked me about it, if they would have talked to me about it, I would have accepted a lesser role and mentored him. And then he went through the free throw problem and, and you know, he needed somebody there to take the pressure off of him. And, and, and I wasn't there. So I thought that was a, a huge mistake on the, on the franchise part, but you know, uh, I have no ill feelings. I, you know, I, I still love everybody around there. I think that we all got along and they just thought that they gave me an excuse. They said, you know, Reggie, we just figured you were playing too well and you would never accept coming off the bench and being playing secondary to, you know, somebody who wasn't as good as you. Well, you mentioned Nick, and at the time, as you said, a rookie right out of Illinois, and ends up being one of the better players that had played for this franchise over the last few years. At the time, did did you realize what kind of player Nick Anderson might become? Well, I knew he was good, you know, um, but you know, I you know don't you don't know what kind of player he's going to become, but you knew he's, he's got talent. Um, I just knew where I was in my life at that time. I had bought a home and I bought some, you know, I bought, actually bought two houses in Orlando because I was going to, I bought an investment property in my house and I was really actually ready to make it my home, my permanent home. So if they would have, uh, you know, spent a little time and asked me about, you know, what my plans were, if I would accept this or, or, or whatever, then I would have gladly been that, that mentor, that guy that they could count on for years to come in the locker room, so forth and so on. But Nick, you know, I knew he was a really good player um, and he had a, a lot of promise, uh, but he was a rookie, you know, and he, an unproven rookie. And you just don't know how that's going to go until it goes. Uh, but you he had a great that, career. Uh, yeah, he, he sure did, and and continues to work for the franchise here in Orlando. I was going to say, you start that season, what, seven and seven. People forget how, how good you guys were working together as a group, veteran guys again, seven and seven, and then Dave Corzine goes down. Did you, yeah. when you look back at that, could that have been a really good, you know, you're not going to win a lot of games as an expansion team, but how good do you think that team really was if everybody stays we together? Were. We were going to break the the uh, the uh, franchise record, expansion record for wins. We were going to break that record. Uh, when Dave Corzine went down, that you know, obviously that was the end of that. But we were on pace to break that record, and it was going to happen because we were not just playing; we were in games and having a chance to win games. Some nights we just weren't good enough to win them. Uh, and some nights, you know, we, we obviously hadn't been around, been together long enough to win them. But we were very seldom getting blown out. And uh, it was, it was we, had a, we had the ability to, to uh, pass the ball, score the ball. We weren't great defensively, but we could put points on the board. One other guy you've already mentioned, but I wanted to ask you about was Terry Catledge. What kind of guy was Catman to the, play the with as a hole. teammate? He was a black hole. <laughs> Absolutely, an incredible black hole. <laughs> Once you threw it to him, you can forget about getting it back. That's for sure. You but know, it's he funny. knew what to do. He knew what to do with it. Uh, he, he had a variety of ways of scoring. Uh, great personality guy. A lot of fun. Uh, but you know, boy, when you threw it into him, he wasn't getting it back. That's for sure. 
You know, and I've heard that. I watched him play that year, and I, I've heard that for years since. And you know, just today I looked up, just I was thinking about it. You know, did he pass the ball very much? Terry Catledge that year had 72 assists in 2,500 minutes. I mean, when it went into yeah. Cat's hands, it, it didn't come out very often. Yeah, you know that you know that old commercial. Only his fingerprints were on the ball. <laughs> That's exactly what would happen. All right, Reggie. You played uh, 13 years. You, as I said, were score 18.5 points per game for your career. Uh, do you? I'm sure you do. When you look at the NBA game today, and as it was when you played, sometimes do you think maybe you may have been a better fit for the game today? Well, I, I'll just say this. You know, the game would have been a lot easier. <laughs> That's for sure. Uh, that 18 points would have went drastically up to, you know, in the high 20s. You know, um, so it, it, the, the game today compared to the way we used to play is, is a lot easier. Life is a lot easier today than it used to be. Um, so, yeah, and I don't know. I think anybody that played in my era, except for the hold and grab guys, uh, could could easily play in this era today. The hold and grab guys, you know, a lot of those guys, they they sort of fell by the wayside when the rules changed. The number that stood out to me when I was looking at your your career numbers today, you only missed thirty seven games in thirteen years. I mean, there's guys that miss thirty seven games right now just load management reasons. Right, that, right, that's right, a startling. Right. That's a startling number. How how'd you stay healthy? Well, you know, you weren't always healthy. You know, you, you played most of the time. You played half the season banged up, and, and, you know, you just you fought through things. And you took pride. You know, you took pride in playing basketball. You took pride in, in showing up to work. You know you, you, you know, you took pride in putting that hard hat on and, and making it happen. And, you know, you felt like you owed it to your fans to, to play. And, by the way, we love playing basketball. Now, I didn't always like to practice, but, you know, you, you love playing. So to miss games, no one wanted to ever miss games. Um, uh, but, I, you know, I played my first five or six years. I played probably my first five years and never missed a game. And so you play hurt a lot when, when that happens. And uh, when it's all said and done, you know, you know, is it better for your career? Is it not better for your career? I I don't really know. Uh, I know. I don't know what the analytics say, but all I know is that we took pride in being on the floor, and you know, it was it meant something to the guys to to play. And and load management was. If someone asked me, did I want to sit out tonight? I would have asked them, Are you crazy? Why would I do that? Why would I want to do that? Am, am I tired? Yeah, I'm tired. So what? Let's play. <laughs> you know. Let me ask you this. Uh, if I remember right, the three-point shot came into the league uh, 79, 80, right, right in yeah. there, uh, early in your career. When it came in, how, how did players accept it? How, how did you accept it? Did you feel like it was a good thing at the time? Yeah, you know, it wasn't something, you know, it was there, uh, but it wasn't something we utilized. Um, you know, today the game has changed to the point where, you know, I think that they're in a lot of ways, teaching a bad brand of basketball. I've never seen so many bad shots with the game on the line. You know, if it's a if the game is on the line and, and it's a you know the game winning shot, it's always a jack three with a hand in the face. 
Sometimes you make it, sometimes you don't. Nobody ever utilizes mismatches. They never utilize driving the ball to, to, to potentially get, you know, what, what, what Jerry Reynolds used to always say, got to give yourself a chance. He, what he meant is you got to give yourself a chance to get a bucket or a foul. And uh, the game is just different today. You know, they're, they're teaching guys on fast breaks to pull up for a three instead of run for a layup. They're, they're teaching guys today that, that everybody on the floor are capable of, of making threes when, when their shooting percentages suck. You know, um, so it's, it's, it's just different. It's a numbers game. It's, in a lot of ways, it's, it works, but in some ways it's unfortunate because I think that uh, it kills the brand of basketball. Uh, and I think that, you know, the, the, the difference is, is that you have generation of kids growing up today that don't know the difference. So it's working out. The NBA is making money, and, and it's the TV ratings have not been great right now, but for the most part. But people who really understand basketball um, have a lot of problems with the way the game is today. The NBA today, and this you may have just answered this question, but if Reggie Theus were king, if, if it was Commissioner Theus, what would you change, if anything, about the game right now? Um, I, I just think that I would put a little bit more of uh, the physicality back into the game. Um, I would I would utilize the analytics a hundred percent, but yet I wouldn't let them govern what I do. I think that you know I think analytics are great as a backup to what I already see. Um, uh, I think the three point shot is a phenomenal weapon, but it, it needs to be controlled. Uh, not everybody gets to shoot threes. Not every three-point shot is a good three-point shot. Um, and the game still is played from the inside out, and it's about getting layups and then shooting threes, not shooting threes and then getting layups. Uh, Absolutely. That's, that's the way I see it. How about coaching, but, you know, Reggie? It's, it's you, kind you, of you, hard. It's, sometimes it's kind of hard to give the players today their due because I think they're phenomenal players. But they're playing the game. They're being spoon-fed. You know, they're being spoon-fed. They're scoring their free throws. Everything is being they're, – they're spoon-fed everything. Um, so it's sometimes it's hard to give them their due. But uh, I think the athletes are today, uh, the, the technology today, what they're exposed to. I laugh. I tell people all the time how, how things have changed. They used to give us salt tablets and not let us have water. So that's how that's how prehistoric that was. You, they put you in jail today if you did that to a kid. <laughs> you are so right about that. Uh, you mentioned coaching. You've tried your hand at at both sides, I guess, the college and the pro game. And it sounds like you you're interested, possibly, to, to pursue that again at some level. Yeah, no, I I, I love coaching. I, I you know I've always wanted to be a part of a franchise and be you know part of the community, part of the franchise, on the coaching side, on the administration side, whatever. I, I think that my life now, I'm at a place where this is, this is my goal. Uh, I love coaching. I love, you know, mentoring. I love being a part of the, you know, the, the players and, and, and what is to be built. And I've, I've had a, a plethora of, of experience from a lot of levels. So um, I, I'm ready to pivot in, a, in different ways, but uh, you know, uh, where I'm at right now, t- doing TV and radio is 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 a good place to be till I till I find the next uh, the next phase of my life. 
as you look at the NBA today, Reggie, what makes a good NBA coach today? You know, the same thing that has always made a, a great coach. A coach's job is to create an atmosphere so players can play their best. That's a coach's job. Today, coaches do a lot more managing uh, because back in the day, it was a coach's league. Now it's a player's league, and players have most of the power. So you end up managing the personalities. You end up managing the egos. You end up managing uh, your locker room, and you don't really dictate a whole lot. Now, there are certain coaches that get a chance to do that, but for the most part, most coaches don't. Um, but sincerity. See, I believe that players, no matter who they are, they want to be coached. Just like your children, they want to be parented. You know, they don't need a buddy. They need somebody they can count on, and they need somebody that, that they believe in. So I think, I think that my experience has been from being a player, from being a coach, from being an analyst, from being in all the places, that players still want to be led. And, you know, how you lead is obviously, you know, uh, has a lot to do with your personality. But when you are sincere about the way you coach, the way you approach your players, the way you deal with your players, in terms of uh, demanding respect and giving respect, uh, I've been able to coach my guys very hard, very straightforward. And the thing that I take most pride in as a coach um, is that I've had most of the guys, I even had Ron Artest came up to me about – about a month ago and said, no, you know what coach? I see him in the, in the gym all the time working out. He says, you know, I had my best year statistically with you. And I've had probably, um, I've had five to seven players basically have their best years of their career playing for me because of our relationship and the way that I like to play. So I think that that relationship and that sincerity and that understanding of what works for players really gives me a, um, a perspective that a lot of guys don't. And, you know, I was a point guard, and I played the two guards. So I have a, I'm always going to be the floor leader. Before we let you go, Reggie, and again, thank you so much for your time this afternoon. You've been gracious. Uh, as you look at, at what's going on with this league right now, you said you watch a little bit of basketball. Have you had much of a chance to see this Magic team play this year? Oh yeah. Well, I was in I was in rehab. I, you know, I got my knee done this year, and so uh, Martel Falk was uh, rehabbing his 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 body at the same time. So I got a chance to spend some time with him. I'm so happy for him because uh, he worked very hard to get himself back together, uh, and I'm I'm glad he's having a, a good year. The Magic are right there. You know, the fans are right there. The Magic are right there. That you know, obviously, you know, it's a a little bit of this and a little bit of that can change can can change drastically. But, um, you know, it's, they're a fun team to watch, and the coach is doing a fantastic job with them, I think. And Markel Fultz, you've watched enough of him to think that the, the kid really has a, a big future in the league? Oh, he has a great future. You know, and he's, he, you know, his shot's getting better. Uh, he seems more explosive today, uh, and he seems more confident. Uh, so much of this game is, is confident. And, you know, the league is so young that they don't have older players a lot of time to help them with their confidence. You know, you hear these things about um, sophomore jinx and, 
you know, things of that nature. There's no such thing as a sophomore jinx. It's just a young player that doesn't know how to get himself out of a bad spot. And it takes experience to learn how. Sometimes when you have older players on the team, you know, or you have coaches that have a, 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 a great amount of experience from playing, those things can, can, can be headed off, headed off before uh, they become a problem. Tell you what, Reggie Theus, thank you so much for spending a couple of minutes with us here today. Thanks for being a part of this team's history and uh, sharing some good memories. Always good to visit with you, Reggie. You know, I have so many friends in Orlando. It was such a great time for me. A lot of hunting buddies, a lot of fishing buddies, uh, golf buddies. Um, you know, I've got nothing but love for Orlando and, and it will always be a place that I wanted to call home. Thank you, Reggie Theus. We'll see you down the road. Yes, sir. Appreciate it. And that is this week's Radio Guy podcast. Thank you for spending a few magic memories with us this afternoon. Thank you to Reggie Theus, and we'll see you next time on the radio.